Last week, Scott announced that he had been married to Renee for 20 years. And then he added the Saint Renee. Well, I misunderstood him. I thought he said the same Renee. <laughs> I even repeated it with a question mark. The same Renee? Well, Nikki caught my mistake and leaned over to Marilyn and told her that Scott had said saint, not same. And Marilyn, of course, told me my blunder after church. Of course, what I thought he had said didn't make sense. We all know that the Renee he's married to is the same Renee he married 20 years ago. However, I do know something about them that you may not know. And that is that they are both in their second marriage. But of course, so are you. So are you. If you've been joined together with Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul makes that startling revelation in the first six verses of the seventh chapter of Romans. In the last part of the sixth chapter... He illustrated our relationship with sin and righteousness as slavery. He pointed out that before we became Christians, we were slaves to sin, slaves to impurity and lawlessness. But through Christ, we were freed from sin and were therefore able to present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. We were freed to enslave ourselves to God. And as we noted, those are only two options. We are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. We are either serving God or serving Satan. The only freedom we have is the freedom to choose whom we will serve. Now, some might object, however, to comparing our relationship with God to slavery, and any comparison does break down at one point or another. So Paul offers another marriage. Now, I realize some might not see any difference between slavery and marriage, <laughs> but I think most of us would rather think of ourselves as the bride of Christ than the slave. Christ. Becoming the bride of Christ, however, is not as easy as you might think. In fact, it's complicated tremendously by the fact that before we met him, we were married to another. Romans chapter 7. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. 
Now, Paul is just beginning his illustration of marriage here. And he's beginning the illustration by reviewing the law concerning marriage and the nature of law itself. He says he's writing to those who know the law, who understand how the law works. So he indicates that they should be able to understand his thinking here. Now, whether he's referring to the Mosaic law or the Roman law, we can't be sure. And it really makes no difference. The point he's making in the first verse is simply that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. When you die, you're freed from the law's demands. Now, the law may still have some jurisdiction over your body and your possessions, but you are personally freed from the law. The law can force you to do nothing if you're dead. And you are personally freed from any contractual obligations to which the law may have bound you. Likewise, if you're bound to someone by law, you're freed from them if they die. And this can be readily seen in the marriage relationship. When two people are legally married, they are bound together by laws. They are no longer free to do as they please. They are legally obligated to each other. Now, I do realize that many in our world today seem to think there's no need for legally binding marriage and therefore choose to simply live together. But there is good reason for the laws concerning marriage. Now, the family unit is the building block of society. And if families are held together solely by emotional attachment, we are in trouble. Due to our sinful, self-centered nature, there would be little stability in our homes were it not for laws that bind us together and protect children from the whims of selfish parents. And sadly, much of that protection has been lost in a day of no-fault divorce. But in the Roman world, a woman was bound to her husband for life. She couldn't get out of it unless he died. Now, we're going to ignore the inequity in the Roman and Jewish systems that did allow for a man to divorce his wife because that's not germane to Paul's illustration. The point he's making is that a married woman was bound by law to her husband for life. And if she joined herself to another man while her husband was living, she was an adulteress. The only way she could be free to marry another was for her husband to die. And the only way for us to be freed from the law to which we were married was for a death to take place. Let's read on. Therefore, because of what's going on, therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, 
that we might bear fruit for God. Now, Paul makes a a necessary adjustment to the illustration here to, to keep it going. If this were a perfect analogy, he'd say that our husband died. But he can't say the law died because the law is still in effect for those who are not under grace. So he said we were made to die to the law. We were married to the law, and the only way we could be freed from the law was to die. But obviously, if we died, we'd be free to marry no one. We'd be dead. So God devised a way for someone else to die in our place. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. And as we'll see when we go back to Paul's teaching on baptism, when we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. We were made a participant in his death. So when he died, we died, at least spiritually. Through the body of Christ, we died to the law. We were freed from our marriage to the law. We were freed from our obligation to the law. That freed us to marry another. That freed us to marry him who was raised from the dead. That freed us to marry the resurrected Christ. Now, all of this may seem just a little convoluted. But Paul follows through with his illustration of law and marriage because through it, He can illustrate that we've been freed from the law's demands. And, as he noted at the end of verse 4, that we were brought into union with Christ so we could bear fruit for God. Reading on. For while we were in the flesh... The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Our first marriage was anything but spiritual. It was a a fleshly thing based on sinful passions. We were in the flesh, limited to fleshly resources, and the law, our mate, brought out the worst in us. It was a bad marriage, an oppressive marriage, and the harder our mate tried to control us, the worse it became. Every time our husband said, thou shalt not, we wanted to do it all the more. And every time he set a a boundary and said, don't cross it, we just had to cross it. And even if we obeyed nine out of ten of his commands, we still failed to keep them all, so we were doomed. The only thing coming out from that relationship was death. And there was nothing we could do about it. We couldn't divorce ourselves from the law. And the law certainly wasn't going to let us go free. 
The only way out was death. So Christ said, trust me, and I'll die for you. Express your willingness to crucify self, and I'll let you join me on the cross. I will allow my body to be killed so you can be freed from your husband. Your marriage to the law will be over. No longer will the law be able to make demands that you cannot meet. Now you'll be free to enter into a new spiritual marriage with me. We are now able to be married to the risen Christ. And it's through our marriage to Christ that we are able to bear fruit for God. Through our relationship with Christ, His Holy Spirit enables us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are now possible. We are in union with the risen Christ. And his character becomes evident in our life. He is our husband. And we have become one with him. And he brings a spiritual element into our life that makes possible a a quality of life that was impossible in our old marriage to the law. No longer do we vainly strive to serve God through the letter of the law because we no longer have to be perfect to be acceptable to him. We are now married to his son and his son makes us acceptable. In a sense, God becomes our father-in-law and he lets us in the family because we are married to his son. Now, sadly, Paul is back there with junior worship this morning. But I needs to know, and he'll hear it, I'm sure, that even if Paul wasn't perfect, I'd accept him. Okay? Why? Because he's married to my daughter. <laughs> and... He gave me some pretty amazing grandkids. You know, as long as we're married to God's son, God will find us and what we do acceptable. He will forgive our shortcomings and failures because he knows we love his son and his son loves us. And that, in turn, frees us to serve God in newness of spirit. Now, we don't know whether Paul had the Holy Spirit or our spirit in mind here. There's no article in the Greek. And we don't know whether to capitalize it or not. New American Standard capitalized it, but it may not need to be. But either way, either way, it's still true. 
we are able to serve God with a newness, a freshness of spirit because we now know that he accepts us, even if we fall short. And we also serve him through power supplied by the spirit because the spirit now indwells us because we are in union with the risen Christ. We can now bring pleasure to our heavenly father because we are married to his son. Our first marriage was a bad marriage. We were married to the law and that kept us in bondage to sin. Now we have been freed from the control sin had over us. The bond of sin has been broken. If we are in Christ, we are all in our second marriage. We died to the law through the body of Christ and have been joined to him who was raised from the dead. Jesus died and rose again so he could enter into an intimate relationship with us, one that is pictured as a marriage. He died and ascended to a spiritual realm so he could then actually come into our hearts. It doesn't get more intimate than that. You are the bride of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that exciting? Doesn't that give you confidence in who you are and the relationship you have with your Heavenly Father? This is a beautiful picture. I'm so glad Paul painted it for us. Jesus wants to come into our heart. The most intimate union where two become one. He wants to actually come into us. If you've not invited him in, the Savior is waiting. Why don't you let him come in?